Alright, my goblins and ghouls, welcome back to another episode of the Buzzwords Podcast. And, you know, today we're talking about Hemonk Part 2, which I think is perfect, because before we start recording, or before we started recording, Bo told me that uh, it's his time of the month, so it seems topical. Anyway, let's yep. get into it. What are you drinking today? Well, just to go off that, because I do need to respond, I did get a haircut <laughs> today. Did you get a man bun? So my, ha- my man bun is is not in full flourish yet, but I did I did do a size 2 on the sides, nice. and uh, kept, it kept it all fluffy. But uh, if that's what you meant by time of the month, it was my time to uh, cut the hair, as I do every month. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Check out our Instagram, guys, because that man bun picture is now 100% going up onto that Instagram shortly. I was going to hold off for uh, uh, reasons. For uh, blackmail Bobby, purposes. Bobby, con- Bobby contacted me after, and he was just like, you know what? Please don't put that up. Like, uh, my feelings will be hurt, and I, I'm a sensitive guy. And I said, okay, you know what? I'll just put up the Amanda Bynes pic. No problem. People love Amanda. Um, but now the man bun is, is also going up. Well, you heard it first. We're fighting. <laughs> Cheers. <You heard> first. <laughs> this is the last episode. So, um, I'm drinking today. It's the uh, premium Weissbeer uh, by Frankenhoner Weissbeer from Munich since 1363. So, I'm excited. Damn, that's been How aging for a long time. Yeah, this is a good one. Nice. I am drinking uh, Sunscream from Noctera Brewing Co. Wait, you shouldn't be drinking sunscreen. Get something else. No, sunscream. Oh, you like that pun, though? It's a good yeah, pun. That, I mean, you know, if you're going to the beach and it's like a no-drinking beach, people do put alcohol in their sunscreen bottles, so that's a little life pro tip. Oh. Didn't hear it from us. No, that's a good one. I forgot that we did that all the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Anything else? Uh, no. Let's get into it. Okay. Oh, no, it's fizzing. Ooh, bubbly. I'm ready. I just want to warn you that today I have some tough questions for you. I hope you have multiple drinks. I am ready to party. And by party, I mean sit alone in my room and record this podcast with you while getting more and more drunk. So let's do it. Well, don't say it like that. It's sad. Sad persons? (laughs) No. It's just a joke. So, you paid attention during second year... And you like watched all the sketchies, and so you needed to anticoagulate somebody, and you gave them a heparin bridge to warfarin, but they still developed skin necrosis. What's going on? Okay, so someone is getting bridged from heparin to warfarin. Initially, I wanted to say there was an enzyme enzyme deficiency, excuse me, but now I'm I'm thinking something along the lines of protein C and S. Am I on the right track? Yeah, no, that's the right answer. So for whatever reason, people have a. Uh, either an inherited, it's generally inherited, but can also be an acquired protein C or S deficiency. Um, and if that is the case, then they don't respond to the regular amount of heparin, so they need like a super dose to successfully bridge them to warfarin. Um, and if you don't give them that extra dose, then they will still have the regular like warfarin-induced skin necrosis that you're trying to prevent with the heparin in the first place. Okay. Okay, so what do you do with those patients? That seems tough. Maybe you just have to go with the NOAC nowadays. Uh, yeah, I think you can do a NOAC, or if you're trending the... Um, the PTT, which should normally be rising if you're administering heparin and it doesn't rise with the normal dose, then you would maybe want to check a protein C or a protein S, because that would suggest they, they have a deficiency. All right. Sounds good. So these first ones are tough, all right? You have your drink in hand, I want you to be ready. So I have a patient. Simply, they came in and they wanted to try some alternative therapies, which are incredibly high yield for this step exam. And this alternative therapy is to help boost their memory, but you, you warn them there's also an increased risk of bleeding with some of these therapies. There's two 
that are used as kind of neurotropic memory boosters, but also have a bleeding side effect. Do you know either of these two? Is ginkgo root one of them? Beautiful. Ginkgo root is one of them. It's probably the, the highest yield of the two. The other one that comes up a lot, I don't think that it's a neurotropic, but is a St. John's wort. Right. What's that for? I don't know. People take it for, like, anything. Everything. <laughs> I think it's for depression. My, my understanding was that it was, like, a mood. Oh, you know what? You might be right. I think that's, there's like some sort of cross uh, reaction. Like it's a risk for serotonin syndrome, actually. Yeah. So uh, St. John's word, that's a great idea. The other one starts with a G, it's ginseng. So, you know, what Uh. we find in green tea or something like that. So ginkgo and ginseng. I don't know if you can remember that with the two Gs that lead to bleeding. Do you have a a better way to remember that? Uh, I mean, green tea makes me bleed. So that's another G that you can remember. So that helps. (laughs) No, I I don't have anything off the top of my head. (laughs) GG. Well, that's why we... Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so GG, Jinko, Jinsking, Jeeting, Bleeding. And then I have another one where a patient comes in, he's an elderly male. He has some BPH, and he actually thought of a supplement, he found this online, that also says it can help relieve his BPH, but again, has some bleeding risk. Any idea what that is? And it's a two-word. This one's tough. Is it lion's penis? No. It's very... That's very close. It's, it's called saw... Palmetto, S-A-W. Oh yeah. Palmetto. And I think I've seen that natu- before. Have you? Yeah, seen Palmetto. I saw Palmetto. No, I do know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's some extract of a fruit. Um, it's supposed to increase like even testosterone levels, improve prostate health, reduce inflammation. So there's actually like some good science behind it. But one of its side effects is that it actually can increase your bleeding risk. So we talked about ginkgo, we talked about ginseng, and we talked about saw palmetto as three natural supplements that can all increase your bleeding risk. Well, I'll drink to that. I think you have to. Hmm. Okay. First impression of your brew? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's a summer wheat. It's not too uh, offensive. I like it. The logo's pretty cool. It's like a, a butterfly with a nice uh, like purple-orange kind of gradient backdrop. So I'm hoping that throughout throughout these episodes, our palettes become a little bit more sophisticated, you know? So by the end of... You know, let's say it's 20 years down the line and we're making these episodes and we take a sip of the beer. Um, I'm picking up hints of sal palmetto in this. <laughs> and maybe a bit of ginseng. And some lion's penis. I have an unrelated... <laughs> yeah, and some lion's penis. I have an unrelated nosebleed I have to attend to. <laughs> I'm bleeding... Out of my face. I'm bleeding inside my chest. <laughs> Charlie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, it's a... I'll, I'll start with this one. So this is the Weiss beer uh, brewed. Since 1363, which I think means this beer is uh, almost 700 years old. Quick math. Yeah, very malty. Kind of has an earthy undertone. (laughs) Does it really? Are you just saying that? No, it does. If I was going to taste earth, this is what it would taste like. Nice. Earth usually tastes pretty coppery to me, but... No, this definitely has some some copper lead qualities. (laughs) That was an electrician's joke for our... uh our overlap community between medicine and electricity. I, I did not get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why you... <laughs> so you're giving somebody heparin, and you do a lab draw, and they have a big drop in their platelets, and they start having, like, clotting. What's going on? You're a, you're a big boy heparin today, huh? We're doing farm today, boys and girls <laughs> and non-binary. So, uh, eight... so patient comes in with heparin. This is classic HIT, hit heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. My understanding is the classic Thailand because I actually just had a patient that was having a drop in her platelets over a couple of days and I thought maybe this could be hit. So I asked my resident, I said, what do you think about this? And 
he kind of wasn't having it. And he said, what about the timeline? I said, oh, it's been, you know, a couple of days. He said, it typically happens maybe four to five days, I think is my understanding regarding the timeline. So it's not immediate, but it's, you know, you, or you need enough time for some antibodies to start forming to attack uh, kind of the complex that you form. So my answer is hit, long story short. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's typically something that you'll see. Um, so there's two types of hit. There's type one and type two. Type one will happen more acutely and it's a more mild drop in platelets. I don't know that the mechanism is completely understood, but I don't think it's an antibody mediated process and it's not really something you have to worry about. Um, but HIT hit type two um, is the one that we're talking about and that shows up typically five to 14 days after you start heparin um, and will cause kind of a precipitous drop. So if you, um, for like testing purposes, I think they say like a 50% drop in platelets is suggestive of, of hit type two. Right, okay. That's a great, great high yield point. And how Always would you check the treat that? You gotta stop heparin, you, you bridge them, um, and you get them on warfarin or, or some other NOAC. I think it's, uh, is it dabigatran? You, you, you bridge them with something like a NOAC. Yeah, so um, they aren't NOACs, they're direct thrombin inhibitors. So you have uh, dabigatran and a bigatran are your two options. All right, okay. Direct thrombin inhibitors, okay. Originally yeah, isolated from leeches, interestingly. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember dabbing catching always with the dab, that dance. Yeah. Dab on that hit. Dab or, on that hit. Or hit on that dab, depending oh on what gosh. state you live in. I love it. That's great. That's the high yield stuff we're talking about here. All Is right. it? Is it? We have a 55-year-old male presents to you with transient left eye blindness for a couple hours, and it gets better. No pain. He has an extensive smoking history. He takes some labs, and you notice his hemoglobin is 28. What is your next treatment modality for this patient? I am going to phlebotomize him. Beautiful. So because what he has he polycythemia vera. Beautiful. So polycythemia vera is a clonal myeloproliferative disorder characterized by erythrocytosis. And for a bonus point, the most common cause if it's a mutation, is a mutation in what? Uh, it is a JAK2. Beautiful. Yep, exactly. It's a JAK2 mutation. If you see that anywhere in the question stem, think polycythemia vera. So why does someone even get symptoms? Why did this guy have left eye blindness? It's because it's due to the increased blood viscosity, and that can cause hypertension, thrombosis, visual disturbances like this patient, facial plethora, among multiple things. I'm sure Bobby can attest to other symptoms that he's seen or read about. They might even have classically itching after warm showers, which I used to understand the mechanism for. My understanding is it still is related to histamine to some degree. Um, but unlike other causes of erythrocytosis, such as chronic hypoxia, where you have this patient, for example, with extensive smoking history that potentially lead to hypoxia, chronic hypoxia, or an EPO-producing tumor, erythropoietin-producing tumor, patients with polycemia vera will have what level of oxygen saturation, Bobby? Compared to those uh, two. I believe their oxygen saturation is normal, but their EPO is low. Exactly. That was my next question. So the oxygen saturation is just fine. There's no issue with that. They have a mutation that's causing more red blood cells, but they're not responding to a stress or to chronic hypoxia. So therefore, oxygen saturation is fine. And exactly right, the EPO levels are low. If you had a chronic smoker and you realized that their hemoglobin was off the charts, and you're thinking about polycythemia vera and your differential and you got an EPO level and it was high, that would steer you away from that kind of differential because in this case, you have all these red blood cells. The feedback loop is actually push EPO down. Yeah, the... Uh... The more medical term for itching after you take a hot shower uh, is aquagenic pruritus. So that shows up sometimes as a, an answer. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And do you know the mechanism behind that? My understanding was it's still histamine. Yeah, I think it's histamine related. Cool. 
Um, so you give somebody heparin, and it's working too well. How do you reverse it? Oh, gosh. So, first of all, s slow down the heparin. I don't know what you mean by working too well, but let's say, like, you acutely, acutely needed to reverse it because they needed an operation or something that was life-saving. Um, then you give you give a medication, that medication is named protamine sulfate. Yep, there you go. Do you know what it's made from? Protons. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some in there, yeah. Uh, no, it is actually synthesized from salmon sperm. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's a fun fact. Yeah, for and some yet... reason, I've been asked that several times, so it is worth knowing. <laughs> Not necessarily for boards, but for the wards. It's a fun fact. So heparin is made out of pig product, is my understanding. And so now you're telling me protamine sulfate is made out of salmon. Yes, the natural enemy of the pig. It, of course, which is what I was going to say next. Oh, that was funny. Anyways, so that was a great, great, great point. I hope you have four or five more heparin questions because these are all incredibly high yield. Oh, you want to talk about heparin more? I got more heparin questions for you, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's my turn. So, uh, so I haven't drank anything yet. Which that's a kind you of should be because you've been getting a lot of these wrong, bud. Really? Which one? The protamine sulfate. You had. I had to like coach you through it. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't know that it was from salmon sperm. That's worth a drink. All right. All right. I'll drink to that. If I'm ever a patient, I'm like, I'm allergic to protamine sulfate when they ask me about allergies. <laughs> like, how did you find that out? It's like, eh, you know. <laughs> Been around the block. I've had the organic version, and I was allergic to that, so. Please, if you're going to give me any heparin products, consult my heparin physician, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, call master, him up. Master of all things heparin. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he knows about. <laughs> Bobby walks in with just, like, the sketchy the sketchy uh, picture just printed out on one yeah, piece of like, paper. I just slap it on the table. It's like, all right, what's up? <laughs> this. Is the Thank answer. you for the interesting <laughs> consult. My work here is done. Uh, Come in with like a giant saltwater aquarium with a bunch of salmon in it. We're like, what's up? We ready? What do we need? We need some protein sulfate? You have an IV hanging from? <laughs> yeah, it goes from the salmon to you. <laughs> Straight from the source. Um, okay. So, this is kind of a throwback since we talked about sickle cell in the prior episode, but this is touching on a different point, and it's very challenging, so I'll be impressed if you get it. I was impressed that you got the, the ginkgo, by the way. That's, that's not an easy one. So you have a child with sickle cell presenting with progressive dyspnea and fatigue for one to two months. So he's on no medications. You take some labs. He has a hemoglobin of 9 with an MCV corpuscular volume of 110. The reticulocyte count is also elevated. What is the underlying reason for his anemia? So fatigue for a couple months, no medications, low hemoglobin, elevated MCV. Why does this kiddo have anemia right now? Folate deficiency. Oh, no way. I did not think you'd get that. Well done. So yeah, folate deficiency. So basically sickle cell kiddos, they're they're running through the red blood cells. The reticulocyte count is up. They're trying to make more and more red blood cells. If they're not getting folate supplementation, then they're going to get deficient quite soon. I mean, even within weeks is what I read. I mean, almost two months, which is kind of the timeline here. And so that's exactly right. Macrocytic anemia in someone that has any type of elevated blood turnover, it doesn't have to be sickle cell, think folate deficiency. There are other reasons sickle cell kiddos could have some anemia, such as splenic sequestration, but you're not going to see that macrocytic picture with that. Right. Well, and if they have splenic sequestration, they'll have low reticulocytes. And just one note, this is something to differentiate chronic anemia in someone with sickle cell versus acute. If I had changed the prompt a little bit and said, you know, this kiddo comes in with, with 24 hours of severe fatigue and maybe even some signs of bleeding, then you want to think of a severe hemolytic crisis where for some reason they're just breaking down blood cells like crazy and it's causing this severe anemia rather acutely. That's not the case here, but that's just something to consider if it's a more of an acute setting. 
Exactly. Do you remember what the three conditions are, or like three uh, situations that will precipitate a sickle crisis? Hmm. Uh, something. Are you talking about like like you know infections and things? Or are you talking about like general paradigms like hypoxemia and things like that? Yeah. The second. Yeah, the second. Oh, the latter. Okay. Uh, so hypox hypoxia or hypoxemia. So low oxygen levels that cause the bloods to, blood cells to sickle. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I don't really know. I, I, on top of my head, I can't think of them. So the other two are dehydration and acidosis. Oh, man. Those are good. Those are incredibly high yield. So can you kind of just say that all again? Yeah. So the three things that you have to worry about are hypoxemia, dehydration, and acidosis. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why people will have, like, sickle crisis after they uh, fly because you're at higher altitudes, so you're getting a little bit less oxygen. And if you're like, sitting on a plane for a long period of time, you might not be getting a ton of fluid, so you can get dehydrated as well. Right. Oh, man, I will drink to that. Got that wrong for sure. So uh, I guess since you've complained about all these heparin questions, I will change subjects. So you give someone warfarin, and it's working too well. How do you reverse it? There's three ways. So give some vitamin K. Mm -hmm. That's always a good thing to do. I think you can give some just fresh frozen plasma or to get the... Yep. Is that for warfarin? Yeah. That's okay. right. I mean, that's kind of a more acute setting if you need to do that. I was going to say cryoprecipitate, but is the last one a blood product or is it something else? Yeah, it's a blood product. Okay. And it's not just like cryoprecipitate or full RBCs? Uh, no, it's PCC, prothrombin complex concentrate. Right. So what's, what's the similarity between PCC and FFP, the thing that links them together that makes it useful in warfarin? I think they both have factor warfarin. seven in them. Okay. Um, and the thing to keep, like, the way that I kind of arrange it in my head is if you've got time, you can just give them vitamin K. Like, if it's not an acute issue, like, maybe they just show up at, you know, Warfarin Clinic, um, and you're going to reduce their dose, then you're also going to give them a little bit of vitamin K, potentially. Um, if they are able to take volume, fresh frozen plasma is an option, um, but if they have, like, heart failure or something, or you're trying to keep them volume down for whatever reason, um, then you can use prothrombin complex concentrate, PCC. Okay. Makes sense. So... I have a little follow-up for my last question about folate deficiency. Okay. What is the most common cause of folate deficiency in the U.S.? Alcoholism. Beautiful. Alcohol abuse, exactly. People can develop a macrocytic, megaloblastic anemia within even five to ten weeks of abusing alcohol. I'll drink to that. Oh, yeah. Cheers. I got the last <laughs> one wrong, too. I think I need it. And so, uh, you know, the other big cause of omegaloblastic anemia is a B12 deficiency. What lab tests would you do to uh, differentiate that from folate? So, for anyone that hasn't listened to our prior episodes, we do cover this because we have this whole back and forth. And I'm just stalling right now because I don't remember it now. Yeah, <laughs> I think we because talked about it in neuro, which is like the what the one we did. No, we had GI before this. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of slack then. Or no, the, neuro was the last we one we did. I, <laughs> yeah. Never mind. So we we did this. The answer is MMA, methyl malonic acid, would be elevated in one. Not elevated in another. <laughs> and I think it's going to be elevated in B12 deficiency. So, I'm sorry, but you are incorrect. Uh, you have homocysteine and methylmalonic acid. Methylmalonic right. acid is elevated in both. And homocysteine no. is, it? is only elevated Homocyst in B12. No, Unless I said it backwards. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> I wish we had Jamie to look that shit up. The presence of high... Methylmalonic acid. And, and I'm just saying this, guys, by the way. You just heard Bobby tell me I was wrong. Made me cry. I had to cut out basically 14 minutes 
of me crying post-production, high methylmalonic acid may indicate the presence of a vitamin B12 deficiency. So there you go. That's a differentiator. Well, you heard it here first. You heard it the here first here. time I've been wrong. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. That's something I'm teaching my sister. Totally okay to be wrong. All right. So I have a 32-year-old female presenting to you kind of with just some fatigue, and she's noticed that you know there's a couple new like kind of little pinpoint bloody spots on her skin. They just look like a you know a little rash. She's clearly anemic. You get a CBC, and it shows decrease in her red cells, obviously, her hemoglobin. You actually notice a thrombocytopenia, so her platelets are down. And she actually has a little white count. So you're like, what is, why does a 32-year-old female have this? Any ideas prior to me giving you the first hint? I would say that she has some sort of platelet dysfunction. If I had to guess, I would say immune thrombocytopenic purpura. Okay. But her red cells and white cells are also low. She is essentially pancytopenia. And you're concerned as her physician, and you think, what's common in young females that can cause this? I'll give you one more hint before AIDS? I give you the real hint. What'd you say? AIDS. It's <laughs> uh, actually not a bad, that's not a bad thought at all. HIV for sure could do this. So that's that's why I originally was going to give you an additional line. Her ANA was positive. Ah. Lupus. You better not say AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to, and I was like, no, it's lupus. Lupus, exactly. So lupus can actually present with a pancytopenic picture, anemia, um, you know, thrombocytopenia. Uh, a, a real severe complication, something that you always have to think about lupus, is their susceptibility to infections, and that's because of the white count going down. So lupus does this all through kind of an autoimmune-mediated destruction of the cells. And um, the anemia, although much more less commonly, normally it is due to, you know, antibodies to the red blood cells, can be also caused because of just kind of anemia of chronic disease, just being in a hyper-inflammatory state. And also, if someone develops of course, renal insufficiency because of the lupus. If their lupus gets that bad that they begin having, you know, glomerulonephritis, then they can actually get anemia secondary to that. Most often, if you're seeing kind of a pancytopenic picture, expect that it's the antibodies attacking the cells. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's the pancytopenia is actually like a mixed mechanism where it's like a type 2 as well as a type 3 yep. uh, hypersensitivity reaction, which is fairly rare to have both in one disease process. But anyway. So... An older man comes in, and they're having um, some headaches and some vision loss, but they're not, they're not really having any of the other polycythemia vera symptoms. But you do a uh, blood smear just because you're like feeling like it, and you see a Rouleau confirmation. What are you worried about? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Rouleau. Polycythemia vera. Not you're on. You're on the right track with Hold multiple on. It's not. It's the IgM. Mm-hmm. What is the IgM? It's Waldenstrom, Waldenstrom, macroglobinemia. Yep, exactly. Okay. So the classic way you would actually diagnose that is with a uh, SPEP or UPEP, uh, which is like a seri- serum protein or a urine protein electrophoresis. And it'll actually show you a, uh, it's called an M-spike, which is caused by IgM. And all the symptoms really arise from the hyperviscosity of, of their blood. Right. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Well, how do you treat that? Uh, that's a good question. Hold on. I'd imagine some type of chemotherapy. Or maybe, uh, like an exchange plasmapheresis to, like, deal with the viscosity issues. I have a 30-year-old gentleman here with increased fatigue, notably diagnosed with tuberculosis two months prior. 
and started on the appropriate regimen. His labs are significant for low hemoglobin with a low MCB. On microscopy, you see hypochromic and normochromic cells. What's going on and what should we give him? Um, he has a B6 deficiency superimposed with um, the anemia that can be caused by the TB regimen, which is it's the isoniazid, I believe, specifically that's causing it. Perfect. Yep. So, so you'd give him pyridoxine. Exactly. Yep. So he's taking the right therapy. Isoniazid can lead to sideroblastic anemia, um, and you need pyridoxine. And the lack of pyridoxine can manifest as a microcytic anemia, similar to iron deficiency. So you have this differential. Is it iron deficiency? Is it sideroblastic? What do we do? So in this case, we give you the hint that on microscopy, you have different kind of chromic hypo and normal chromic cells, dimorphic red blood cell population that is more indicative of a sideroblastic anemia. But the other thing that sideroblastic anemia will have, if you see this on the test, is actually a high iron concentration and decreased iron binding capacity. Because remember, sideroblastic anemia is, is a weird one. It's not because you don't have enough iron. You have plenty of iron. It just can't be used by the cells. So if you're seeing a microcytic anemia, but the iron is high, start thinking about sideroblastic. I will. Thank you. And I'll drink to that. Cheers. So you have a... Ding, 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 ding. It is now uh, the uh, portion of the show where we do a rapid fire lightning round. Are you ready? I'm glad that I was told about this ahead of time. <laughs> so. <laughs> Good response. All right. TTP. What will the clotting factors be, up, down, or normal? Thrombotic, thrombocytopenic. Purpura. Clotting factors will be normal. So what will the PT and PTT be? Up, down, or normal? Normal. Good. And platelets? Down. If you go. Exactly. Down. D-dimer? Normal. Perfect. And if I was talking to you about DIC instead of TTP, uh, would uh, fibrinogen levels be up, down, or normal? DIC, everything's messed up. So, <laughs> fibrinogen, down. Fibrin split Perfect. products, up. D-dimer? D-dimer, also. Platelets? Down. Right, and then PT, PTT. Up. Perfect. All right, lightning round, 100% complete. I'll drink to that because I didn't warn you about that. You did awesome, and I didn't stump you. Gotcha. Okay. So somebody comes in, they're an older gentleman, complaining of bone pain. They have some anemia and maybe a little bit of renal involvement. Multiple and you get, get some routine labs, and they have hypercalcemia. Are you, you going to share with the rest of the class, or? So I'm sorry, I didn't know you were done. I'm sorry, teacher <laughs> sensei. So I think this patient has multiple myeloma. The labs are significant for hypercalcemia. You have the renal dysfunction. Uh, you have bone pain, likely due to the lytic lesions, anemia because of you know crowding out um, of red blood cells, maybe even renal dysfunction. Who knows? Um, something else that I think probably the USMLE exam could give you in the labs is a total protein that's high, let's say 10, 11, 12, as well as an albumin that's low, let's say two or three. Um, so you have this big protein gap that can kind of give you a hint without you know doing an SPEP uh, for multiple myeloma and give you the hint that there's some other protein in the blood right now that's not albumin that's contributing to this person's disease. <laughs> as Anything a follow-up, since it seems like maybe you were going to ask me a question about this and had not prepared because yeah. you answered everything, <laughs> uh, what is the protein that is elevated? It must be just immunoglobulin, right? Which ones? Uh, IgG immunoglobulin. Yep. 
also IgA. Oh, okay. IgG and IgA immunoglobulins are elevated in multiple myeloma, multiple myeloma, excuse me, and IgM is elevated in Waldenstrom. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And, and what else? Waldenstrom? Can... He was just some dude. Really? That's probably. That's, you don't you know the salmon thing, but you don't know who Waldenstrom is. Well, his name his name the O in his name has the two dots above it, so I would imagine that he is. Han Gosta Waldenstrom was yeah, a Swedish doctor right. of internal medicine who described his disease, which bears the name Waldenstrom macroglobin. He was born in Stockholm and studied organic chemistry and theatrical medicine. No, never mind. He was what is theatrical medicine? medicine. <laughs> theoretical medicine. Theatrical medicine anyway. is when I pretend to do a physical exam. Um, yes. So what is the other condition that can have an elevated IgM? Kind of along that same spectrum. So they tend to be asymptomatic, but they have the same IgM spike. Interesting. So if you didn't say IgM, I would be thinking about the dysplastic syndrome that's similar to multiple myeloma that where it's not like greater than, you know, 20% or whatever the cutoff is. And you have like this intermediate, something to do with fire. Um, am I on the right track or am I just making things up? I don't know uh, about financial independence and retiring early as related to uh, multiple myeloma, <laughs> but please continue. There's some, God damn it, ass. Um, there's some... There's some, you know, uh, scale in which case, like, you know, normal person and then multiple myeloma and then in between there's an amount of IgG or IgM where it's not necessarily, quote, dangerous or you don't need to treat it yet, you need to monitor it, but um, it's definitely higher than normal, I think maybe greater than 10%, but I don't know the name of the condition. So I don't know about the percentages. I think that that's probably true, but I am referring to MGUS, yeah. which stands for monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance which the patient has a lab abnormalities consistent with a multiple myeloma or a Waldenstrom's macrogobulinemia. I think it could technically be any IgA, IgG, or IgM that are elevated, mm. giving you a protein spike, but they're otherwise asymptomatic. So you're right in that you do just kind of monitor it and go from there. Why did I say fire? Is it because people, like firefighters, were more, like there's something about firefighters and like 9-11 and their incidents of MGUS in them? I think there's something like that. Jamie, fact check me. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. 16 World Trade Centers exposed white male firefighters received a diagnosis of multiple myeloma after September 11. Conclusion of this study. Environmental exposure to the World Trade Center disaster is associated with myeloma precursor disease, MGUS, and may be a risk factor for development of multiple myeloma at an early age. Whoa. Interesting. I know where you pulled that one from, but I'm impressed. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Cheers. Never forget. Well, considering all of our listeners are don't in you the United say States, they are, I don't think they have to remember, but if you live in the U.S., never forget. Okay. Um, sorry, just to go back to the multiple myeloma, one more point I wanted to make. Um, the mnemonic to remember is CRAB. So you have hypercalcemia, renal involvement, anemia, and bone pain. What is the acronym POOP for again? People order our patties. Oh, right. So it has to do with the Krabby Patties, but it's not medicine-related. Yeah, different. Sorry, I thought there not was some, that type of crab. Okay. Perfect. There is also pain out of proportion, which is for uh, right. acute mesenteric ischemia. Perfect. So remember, poop is multiple things. Don't get those two confused on the exam. Yep. Don't mix up your poop. So the most common type of leukemia is what type? I know this is a, just kind of a read-my-mind kind of question. You're going to hit me with epidemiological questions while I'm taking a master's class? in epidemiological stuff. <laughs> I love uh, that you call it a master's class. <laughs> well, 
I mean, I'm just, you know, taking your language and making it my own, you know. It's probably taught give... by Bob Iger yeah. or uh, Kanye West. Bob Iger and Kanye West are the uh, faculty advisors for my MPH. <laughs> uh, sorry, were we, what What was the question? <laughs> What's the most common... Most common type of leukemia? If I had to guess, I would say uh, CML. Close. CLL, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Oh. Uh, so put a smudge on my record. Yes, and why do you say that? Because you see such smudge cells on the uh, exactly. Pratsmere. Exactly, so smudge cells are a great hint for CLL. And this is a, a condition that people actually live a long time with, and maybe sometimes don't even have symptoms for years and years and years. But when they do have symptoms, they're symptoms related to kind of these chronic white blood cells that are relatively well differentiated, just kind of immature, and they don't, they don't work very well. They kind of crowd out the space and they make it so that you're anemic, they make it so that you're, you're thrombocytopenic, and they also make it so you don't really get any good, well-functioning white cells. So then you're also kind of immuno-impaired. And therefore, the most common cause of death for someone with CLL is what? Um, I would guess infection. Exactly, yep. So infection is the number one cause of those with CLL, most specifically, pneumonia. And along the same lines, Let's say, just for one more high-yield point regarding leukemia, you had a patient come in, you thought it was some type of leukemia, it's not CLL, I'll just give you that, and the pathologist does a tartrate-resistant acid phosphatase, or a TRAP stain. What type of leukemia, and it's positive, what type of leukemia are you thinking about? You're going to try and trap me with that one? That is... C... Come on, trap queen. Let's see, ML. No, it's hairy cell. Oh, Gotta bro. Gotta be hairy with that trap. Yeah, bro, it's coming back to you now, huh? Yeah, I guess. Like, uh, not really. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's the kind of thing. Of course, you can see hairy cells on uh, microscopy, but TRAP, tartrate-resistant acid phosphatase, is kind of the biomarker that is high yield for the USMLE exam. If you see that, immediately start thinking hairy cells. You're a cancer, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm into that. I'll drink the Potter Marathon. Maybe we should uh, do a live stream one day where we just watch Harry Potter together with our fans. I don't know, J.K. So Rowling's been kind of popping off on Twitter lately, and not in a good way. Oh, oh how so? She uh, made some, like, transphobic remarks, actually. Oh. Which is interesting after her kind of uh, hot take that Dumbledore was gay all along. See, so. my understanding was that at some point she came out and said that everyone in Harry Potter was homosexual. Well, she even Did you said, tell me that? She said you, the reader, were gay all along, too. Which is like, really? Okay, whatever you say, J.K. Rowling. At some point... You either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. Ain't that right, Batman? I don't know. Where is he? Actually. Harvey Dent. All right, Bobby. It is coming down to the end of the episode. What did you think about your brew? Give me a, give me a rating too, without looking. I thought it was pretty good. I would give it a seven point two five out of ten. And what's the uh, what's the official rating? I don't know. I'll look it up while you tell me about your beer. Sounds good. So mine was okay. Let me take one more sip to kind of get that malty taste back. It's definitely got more earthy undertones. And I say that having no idea what I'm talking about. But overall, I'd rate it probably a 6 out of 10. It's okay. I would have other beers ahead of this beer. But if I had this again, I would definitely drink it. Nice. My beer on Beer Advocate is unrated. Well, there's it's not it doesn't have enough ratings. There's two reviews, three ratings. What's one um, of the reviews say? Oh, the average is a three point seven six. The reviews say 
Overall, 3.75. This is not my favorite style, so my impression is probably a little biased. The flavor and aroma in this were so subtle to me that it almost drank like a light lager. Might be nice on a hot day or at a cookout, but kind of unexciting. Nice. Well, that sounds good and sounds kind of aligned with what you thought about. You gave it, what, a 7.25? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Nice. So again, mine was the Frankenschanker Weissbier, Premium Weissbier. And it actually, I gave it a 6, 6.5. Maybe I just gave it a 6 out of you 10. You said 6. Don't try and walk six it back out. now. Yeah, I'm trying to go. Like, maybe I gave it a 6 to 9 I out gave of it 10. A, I gave it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> it's actually the number because one beer in the world. it has a score of 91 out of 100. And out of the wheat beers, it's ranked number 10. Can you believe that? I mean, they've had the 700 reviews. years to try and figure it out. Like, come on, Frank. It is, now, that, now that I've seen these reviews... I'm going to have to just agree with them and say that this is, this is more of a 9 out of 10. Kind of oh, my God. <laughs> so here's one of the reviews. Reviewed it 4.3 out of 5. Pour from a 12-ounce bottle. Pours an orangish gold color. Foamy. Head. Is eggshell white. And starts about two fingers. Great retention. Hard to ask for a better-looking beer. Aroma is mainly wheat and yeast. Some spices and sweetness. But I cannot tell what on aroma alone. Taste follows the nose. Yeast and malt, up with clove and coriander, plus some banana in the middle. Well, I'm glad you walked back your score, and now you think it's a 9 out of 10. Yeah, now I'm drinking it, 9.1 makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what, did you, what were you doing before this? Were those fake slurps? No, it's okay. I guess it's just not my cup of tea, though. And I, I do like wheat beers, and I couldn't even tell you I couldn't even tell you it was a wheat beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to really work on distinguishing our palates. Exactly. I called an earthy undertone. <laughs> Literally no one talked about earth. <laughs> this was brewed on Mars. There's no earth at all. <laughs> all right. Shout out to Elon. All right, guys, that is it for today's episode. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up from the prior episode. We have a whole bunch of stickers. And I don't care if you're listening to this, you know, October 2020 or 2025, 2030. Reach out to us. Follow us on Instagram. We'll send a couple stickers your way. No charge. Um, they're good stuff. They're kind of buzzwords. I'll drink to that stickers. And we have a couple more in the works. So with that... I leave you adieu. Anything else, Bobby? Adieu, indeed.